Uh, well, let me add my Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Uh, happy, there's some debate over whether it's a Happy New Decade, but I'm going with the Decade this morning. So if you think I'm wrong technically, I've got the microphone, so I'm dictating terms this morning. Uh, seriously, it's great to be gathered together, and um, as it says everywhere, Happy New Year. Uh, there's just, you may have noticed that since we've had the Christmas season and now we're in the New Year, this is a bit of a morning of catching up on a few matters of communication around what's going on in church life. And I've got a couple of things here just to, uh, of the same kind as catching you up on a few things. If you've not seen this picture, it means you weren't part of the church here back last Easter when we first shared it. Um, there have been copies on the desk, there are copies on the desk at the back, and there is um, also a page on the website where you can find out about this picture, which brings together a whole number of things that we believe God has spoken about our future together as Oxford Community Church. And then within that, there are four uh, goals, things that we know God has spoken to us about focusing upon. And what I'm, the reason I'm raising all of this this morning is that in late November and early December, we did a little consultation asking for input from the whole church on various, uh, on uh, the future staffing of the church. And in particular, one of the questions was, of those different goals, those four different goals, which of those do you think should be the highest priority for investment in 2020? And there's an answer to that. So would you like to see a pie chart? I thought you would. There we go. Uh, Just as well. Um, I don't know whether that surprises you. These are our four different goals um, that we would open a school of the spirit. Sorry, something went wrong there. Um, That we'd open a school of the spirit. There we go. Uh, That we would build pathways for effective mission. Also good. And that's that's something that we know we need to invest in. We'd see all of God's people equipped for all that we're called to do. Yeah, very good. Uh, And that we'd be a voice in the city. Yeah, well, you see, we're less sure quite what that means. But that is going to be part of the journey of discovery in 2020. You can see there that... Quite, um, I believe quite rightly, the wisdom of the church has emerged in seeing that building effective mission is indeed a key investment need for us at the moment. And if you haven't picked it up already, uh, Sanjay Matani, who's been tasked with making sure that, who's stood here a minute ago and has disappeared, <gasps> he's there, uh, is tasked with making sure that we are building the different things that we're doing in the church together to make them effective for mission is increasing his hours working for us from a day a week to three days a week as of now. So there's a quick response, uh, something that's already happening. And um, there will be more feedback that comes as, as elders as we chew over the things that have been shared in that consultation. There'll be more news that comes back in the coming weeks and months. I just wanted you to know about that. There's another staffing change. And Steve Begu, I need to... I wanted to apologize to you before the service for the picture I'm about to show. But what I wanted to really make clear to people is that um, there is no realistic hope of replacing Steve Begu with another Steve Begu. But there is a need to replace the principal at the King's School in the coming year. Steve Begu is the principal of the King's School and uh, and is... God's spoken about him moving on. We're very excited about what God's got for Steve and for Tammy and for the family. And there is currently a job advert out for a new principal at the King's School to start later in the year. And the application deadline is the 20th of January. So I would like to, I'm putting this before you to say this is a matter for prayer. 
Uh, I know that some of us are more involved in the life of the King's School van uh, than others, um, but actually, it's a really significant... Of all the different things that we do in Oxfordshire community churches, this one ministry has had more impact uh, than, than any other. It's seen more lives uh, established in God's ways than, than, than any other. It's a matter of really strategic and significant uh, sort of importance for all that we uh, are as a family of churches in the county. And uh, who's leading it matters. God's spoken clearly to Steve about what's next for him, and uh, we trust that God has a plan, but we don't yet know what it is. It's an exciting place to be, an occasionally slightly stressful place to be, because we sometimes find it a little bit harder to trust God than we should. But what we should do is, is pray, and uh, I invite you to join with me in praying. Actually, over the next couple of weeks, um, as I start the year, I'm going to be fasting and praying with this particular thing in mind. And if it occurs to you to maybe fast for a day and join with me in praying, that would be a very marvelous thing. So there we are. Those are a couple of bits to catch up on. And now, happy 2020, we're going to start by looking at Isaiah 55. If you have a Bible, you might like to turn there. Um, we're going to start in our preaching this year, in Isaiah 55, where we find three instructions and three promises. Three instructions and three promises. And the text is also going to appear on the screen in case you don't have it to hand. Here's the beginning of the chapter. Isaiah 55. Come, listen. It starts this way. Come, all you who are thirsty. Is there anyone here? A few. Come, all you who are thirsty. Come to the waters. You who have no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy. Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Give ear and come to me. Listen that you may live. This chapter starts with a first instruction. Come listen. Who can come? The thirsty and the poor, they can come. There is no practical obstruction to coming to the Lord. The issue is simply whether we want to come. And the challenge in this instruction, come listen, is that it does require us to listen. I don't know about you, but the biggest problem that I have with listening to God is that he doesn't just say things I want to hear. My biggest struggle with reading the Bible, and a lot of our hearing God, is exactly about reading the Bible. Uh, anyone, there's a quote here, anyone who wants to be always united to God must pray often and read the Bible often. For in prayer, it is we who are speaking to God, but in the readings, it is God speaking to us. 
It's how we hear the voice of God. The biggest problem that I have with reading the Bible is that it doesn't answer my agenda. It keeps insisting on setting its own agenda, getting me to think about things that I wasn't troubled to think about previously and causing me to put to one side things that I'd wanted to spend time reflecting upon. In his second letter to Timothy, uh, the Apostle Paul wrote, For the time will come when people will not put up with sound doctrine. Instead, to suit their own desires, they will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. Well, the time will come. That time is now. And all too often, that person is me. I suspect often is not. It's you. I'd rather listen to what I want to hear rather than hear the voice of God, which brings, as Steve has read to us from Isaiah 43 and prophesied this morning, the voice of God brings to us new things, things that we were not thinking about but that we should be thinking about. In this year, 2020, in this decade of the 20s to come, here's an instruction. Come, listen. And the biggest thing that any one of us can do to respond to that instruction is to spend rather more time reading the Bible than has been our habit to date. I don't know how reading the Bible is for you, but There is such an amazing wealth of helps out there today, uh, many of which are free. I just want to encourage you as we start this new year, as we read this instruction, come listen, think afresh about your own Bible reading. Are you satisfied with it? Are you hearing the voice of God day by day through your reading of Scripture? And if not, what could you do? How might things be different? And as I said, there are so many helps. Um, And if you can't afford the helps, the ones that cost money, ask for them as presents and gifts from your family. For this Christmas, I asked for something which my mother bought me, which is called a reader's Bible. Has anyone else here got a reader's Bible? You have any idea? This is seemingly a new thing. Um, it It looks like this. Because I find that when I'm reading the Bible, I've used a study Bible for years and years, which has got lots of footnotes and references, and it tells you what it all means, that I get lost in the footnotes more than I do in reading the text. This has been a challenge for me. And I was delighted to discover um, that now people are printing Bibles that have got no footnotes at all, not even any verse numbers. They look like normal books. And I have found that instead of reading a couple of verses and looking at the footnote and getting interested by that and going down a rabbit hole and leaving the text behind, with this format, I'm reading chapter after chapter after chapter. It's been a help to me. I don't know what kind of help you need, but what I do know is that there are a great many resources out there to help you understand the Bible, to help you read the Bible, and in this year, it would be brilliant to step forward in some of those as the instruction comes to us, come, listen. As we read the scriptures, we gain an understanding of God's heart. Now, um, the astute amongst you will have realized that we haven't yet read, the, I don't know if anyone noticed, the first slide said verses 1 to 5, but we've not yet read all of verses 1 to 5. They go on to say this, as we 
come and listen to God, we get to listen in his word to his heart. This is the text. I, says God, will make an everlasting covenant with you. My faithful love promised to David, see, I have made him a witness to the peoples, a ruler and commander of the peoples. Surely you will summon nations you know not, and nations you don't know will come running to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has endowed you with splendor. Here's God's heart for us. God's heart is for a stable, lasting relationship with his people, an everlasting covenant. And King David is given to us as an example of of how that works. David was a shepherd boy, the least of his brothers, doing a menial task, the last and the least. And what happened? God anointed him. And with the anointing of God, this shepherd boy, this youngest son, this smallest brother, the last and the least, he became a witness and a ruler and a commander. And that is a, that is a supernatural thing that took place. It's a supernatural thing that happens to us when, as we come and we listen to God, as we come to him and receive his word. We are fed on the richest of fare. We gain anointing and we are changed. Is it so very hard to believe that God who made shepherd boy David into his witness, is it so very hard to believe that God can make us his witnesses too? Is it hard to believe that he can take us and endow us with splendor? Is it hard to believe that he can make us attractive? Um, I wonder whether you could do me a favor, turn to the person next to you and say, God can make you attractive. (laughs) Yes, he can. Uh, I hope you believe that. You might want to turn to them and say, God can make us all attractive. Uh, you might, could you just keep, turn to the person next to you again and say, God can make you a witness and a ruler. Is it hard to believe? It need not be hard to believe. God who anointed David and made him a witness and a ruler and a commander of the peoples is with us. He anoints us today. He has new things that he wants to give us this year and in this decade. God has spoken to us as a church and said, OCC, you will be a rudder in this city and a voice to this city. Is it too hard for God to make us into those things? No, it is not. The first instruction is come and listen. And as we come and listen, we hear God's heart and we gain an anointing and we're changed and we're made his witnesses and we're given authority. Here's a second instruction. Seek the Lord, verse 6, while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Seek the Lord. Call on him. 
We seek him by calling on him. That is, we seek God through prayer. We seek God through prayer. And he is near and he will be found. We can have the same experience as the psalmist who wrote in Psalm 34, I sought the Lord and he heard me. St. Augustine commented on this psalm saying this, pay particular attention to this point. The psalm does not say, I asked the Lord for riches and he heard me. I asked for long life and he heard me. I begged for this and that and he heard me. Seeking to obtain something from the Lord is different from seeking the Lord himself. You yourself, when you pray, what do you say to him? When you turn to God, do not simply seek some favor from him. Seek the Lord himself, and he will hear you. He will interrupt your prayer, saying, here I am. Yes, surely, here I am. Here. What do you want? What is your request? Everything I can give you is nothing in comparison to the gift of myself. Accept me. Find your joy in me. Talk with me. Touch me with the hands of your faith, and you will be united to me, and I will make all your burdens light. Prayer is more than asking God for what we need. It is seeking him. Another ancient writer, John Climacus, who was a monk on Mount Sinai, of all places, wrote this about prayer. Prayer is union with God. Prayer maintains the equilibrium of the world, reconciles people to God, produces holy tears, forms a bridge over temptation, and acts as a wall between us and affliction. Prayer drives away the struggles of the Spirit. It is the blessedness to come. It is an action that will never end. Prayer is a spring of virtues. It is an illumination of the mind. It is a curtain to shut out our despair. It is a sign of hope. It is victory over depression. Prayer is a mirror in which we see our steps forward. It is a signpost of the route to follow. It is an unveiling of good things to come. It is a pledge of glory. In this new decade, let's seek the Lord. Let's seek the Lord. Let's come and listen. Let's learn to read his word and gain life from it. And let's seek him. Not just the stuff that he gives, though he is abundantly generous, but let's seek him. And thirdly, amongst these different instructions in verse 7, turn. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God, for he will freely pardon The natural response to hearing God's word when we've come and listened, 
The natural response to God's word is change in us, to embrace the change which it invites in us. The natural response to God's word is to turn. And you'll pick up that I've been reading some church fathers over Christmas. Another church father, an ancient writer, this time a Persian scholar. We've had Africa, we've had the Middle East, here we are in Persia. Uh, Philoxenus wrote this, anyone who reads God's word and does not put it into practice is like a dead person, like a soulless corpse. Even if a thousand trumpets were to sound in the ears of the dead, they would never hear them. And that is how it is with a soul that has lost all memory of God, a soul that never thinks of God all day. It doesn't hear the word of God that is calling it. The trumpet of the word doesn't wake it. Its nature is alive, but its will is dead. It is sunk in the sleep of death, and this sleep is pleasant to it. It's our third instruction. Turn. Respond. Be responsive, people. Hear the word and change. In this new decade, let's not live like dead people, but rather respond to God's word as it comes to us. As we had it prophesied to us this morning, God has new things for us. Those new things will make us alive. Those things will call us to life. Let's turn and embrace them. Three instructions then. Come listen, seek, and turn. And then as we read on in the chapter, we have three promises. Let's read to the end of the chapter, which says these wonderful words. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and don't return to it without watering the earth, and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It won't return to me empty, but it will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. And you will go out with joy and be led forth in peace, And the mountains and the hills, they'll burst into song before you. And all the trees of the fields, they'll clap their hands. Instead of the thorn bush, will grow the juniper. And instead of briars, the myrtle will grow. And they will be for the Lord's renown, for an everlasting sign that will endure forever. Three promises in these verses. Here's the first one. God's will shall be done. A fact as sure as the water cycle. That life will come as the rains fall. Uh, We can be prompted to doubt 
God's will being done, we can look at some of the challenges in the world and wonder. A last ancient writer, this time John Goldenmouth, or Chrysostom as he's called. Our fathers in Old Testament times, times like Isaiah's time, our fathers in Old Testament times saw events contradicting the promises of God. Yet they were not shocked or worried. Let me say that again, because it's different to many of us. Our fathers in Old Testament times saw events contradicting the promises of God. Yet they were not shocked nor worried. They trusted in a providence beyond their understanding. Knowing the richness and skill of God's wisdom, they awaited the outcome. And in the meantime, they endured all the adversities, giving thanks to God and singing his praises. It's a promise here that God's will shall be done. And one of the things that some of us may need to cast off as we forget the former things is a, is a habit of, of disappointment, of... Conf- hmm. It's not even the disappointment. It's as this writer has it. There's a shock and a worry that may have traumatized or infected our souls through past experiences that is not a good guide to the spiritual reality, which is that the Lord Almighty is the sovereign Lord of all, and his will shall be done. He's working out his purposes in our lives in ways that we only dimly understand, but that he is absolutely resolute in working through all the days of our lives, our lives and those of others who love him. There's a promise here. God's will shall be done. That which he's spoken shall come to pass. He doesn't speak words in order to leave us disappointed. He speaks words in order to, call, to let us know what he's intending. And though things may take longer than we had imagined they would do, God's will shall be done. The second promise here, and I love this. This is verse 12, and I love it, and I'm sure you do too. Joy and peace will come. Joy and peace will come. One of our neighbors, who's not a churchgoer, came to the Tyndale Gospel concert. We didn't know it till afterwards. Bev invited him. He uh, came and afterwards told us that he'd come. We didn't see him in the crowd. There were a lot of people here. And he said to us, Um, it wasn't as clappy as he'd expected. (laughs) Which was interesting to me. It wasn't as clappy as he'd expected. And I thought it was quite a joyful evening, really. More joyful than our times typically are together. And thank you to everyone who helped make it so. Um, Joy and peace are part and parcel of the Christian life. It says in Galatians chapter 5 that they are fruit of the Spirit. And so people are right to expect 
the church to be a company of joyful people. That's the right expectation. He said, you weren't as clappy as I thought. I said, sorry. Because <laughs> like, he's right, isn't he? I try to get clapping going sometimes on a Sunday morning. I don't know why it doesn't take off more than it does. Maybe others of you could join in. <laughs> the trees are clapping. There is a spiritual reality beyond our physical being. There is a spiritual reality beyond our physical being, and it is full of joy, and it is good, and the trees know it. Do we? God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as the heavens are higher than the earth. But here's the thing. God's word makes its way from heaven to earth. And it's heard by human ears. And that's what makes the very physical world reverberate with joy. That the life of heaven is being made known to us. As the word of God goes out and does its work, there will be joy. And there will be peace. And lastly, there's a a third promise here of long-term steady growth. That is a myrtle tree. Thorn bushes and briars are plants that grow on disturbed land. Thorn bushes and briars, they grow in turbulent places where the soil has been disturbed. The word juniper in our reading may also be translated as cypress or pine. It refers to all kinds of conifer trees. Myrtle is likewise an evergreen tree. None of these trees are known for their fruit, especially, but for the shade that they provide. And myrtle is also known for its beautiful fragrance. Importantly, these plants, all of them, they all grow slowly. Over long periods of time. And over a long period of time... They create a whole environment that is hospitable and beautiful. Instead of turbulence, long-term, steady growth, leading to a better environment and to beauty. Here in Isaiah, we read a promise from God that he will lend his considerable weight to the slow and steady process of growing beautiful things. That's what we can look forward to, not just in the 2020s, but decade upon decade upon decade of continuing growth, changing the environment and bringing beauty. I want to finish this morning by telling you a story of hope. When I arrived in Oxford in the early 1990s, there were a young couple here called Mark and Janet Soppet. That's them looking young and them after a few years. (laughs) Mark was a policeman who led worship, and together they cared for God's people. Uh, They cared, amongst others, for Bev and I when when we 
arrived in Oxford, and for a while we were part of the small group that they led. Later in that decade, they responded to a call to leave Oxford and to lead Wantage Community Church. Then uh, they moved to Canada to lead a church in Niagara Falls, which went badly wrong in ways that I only dimly understand, but which I know led to unemployment and to a, a host of related difficulties. I want to continue the story in Mark's own words. This is what he writes. Nearly 15 years ago, he's just written this in the last few days. Nearly 15 years ago, my pastor Steve Thomas asked us whether we would consider going to pastor a church in Niagara Falls, Canada. By the way, I aspire to doing more of this, saying to different people, do you want to go there? I aspire to doing more of that. So if I've I'm just not acknowledging that fact and wanting to put everyone on notice, really. (laughs) Um, Nearly 15 years ago, my pastor, Steve Thomas, asked us whether we would consider going to pastor a church in Niagara Falls, Canada. Without any knowledge of this, a friend handed us a piece of paper which said, God will take you to Canada, where Mark will write songs. Janet felt God speak to her about Abraham's call to go in Genesis 12. And that September, with a three-month-old baby and four other children, we moved to Canada. We didn't realize and could never have predicted that within a few years, we would be metaphorically surrounded by wildfires that would completely ravage our family, our home, our health, our church, my job, and leave us personally in desperate crisis for 10 years. In 2020, Mark writes, I'm so grateful that things have turned around in our family at last. I want to encourage those who have made the Abraham leap of faith into the ravaging fires and apparent failure and ruin Don't give up. Change is on the way. Mountains are being moved. Situations resolving. Family being saved and freed. Provision coming. It may not look like what you thought or dreamed, but help is on the way. The story hasn't finished for you. I can't believe that in order to see the call coming to fruition... I would end up working in a factory, and Janet would end up working in a school via cleaning houses and other sporadic work to make ends meet. How we kept our house in this time is a miracle. In fact, miracles happened all the time that we didn't have even any faith or strength. Oh, how the tears and despair have run free over these years, yet God has proved faithful. I've struggled to understand who God is and what he's like. I still have questions, but I know he is faithful and he is good. I know he has an unrelenting love for the world we live in, for the nations we live in, and for the nations where we don't. And he's written a song. I was going to play the song this morning, but I'm not sure that the quality of the recording would quite work for the congregation as a whole. But let me re-finish by reading a few of the lines of the song that Mark's just written and may 
it touch you where it needs to touch you. We were humbled. We were broken, shocked, and scared. Today, we sing with gladness to the life of faith you've called us. For our king is moving onwards. Trapped souls rescued. Poverty lifted. Sickness defeated in Jesus' name. Great news in confusion. Truth into chaos. Demons are fleeing in Jesus' name. There is inheritance to come. Though it lingers, keep holding on. He who's called you is faithful to fulfill what he said. Amen.